Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We continue our study of Luke's account of the early church. And we will be looking at the first seven verses here. We've already seen, as I'll note here in a few minutes, a couple of problems the church encountered along the way. And here we see yet another problem uh, that the church encounters. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. One of the great things about the internet is that you can see demonstrations of how to do almost anything. I have used the internet to learn how to uh, change the alternator in my car, which I successfully did. And it's still going today, several years later, so I must have done something right. I have learned how to replace the fuel filter, though thankfully I figured out that it didn't need replacing because of the video that I looked at. I also learned how to properly peel and cut up a rutabaga just this week, which may seem silly to you, but I've never done it, so I had to learn how, and I didn't feel like calling anybody. So I looked at the Internet. I've also learned how to properly uh, cut up and peel a mango, which is not an easy task, I can tell you. And also, you can learn about things like how to set up a wireless Internet network. And the list goes on and on. It really does help to be able to see somebody do something, and that really does give you a leg up on learning how you can do it yourself. And you will probably learn how to do things that you never thought you could do as you see someone else doing it. Well, here in this passage before us today, we can look and see how the early church did church. Uh, how did they carry out uh, being God's people on earth, even in the midst of difficulties? And uh, there are several things that we can draw from this passage. Uh, we can learn from their practice. We can learn from their uh, problems. And we can learn from their solutions to those problems that they face. So these three things, their, their practice, what they did, we can learn from even the problems they faced and, and as well from the solutions that they used. And as we think about these things, uh, hopefully we can apply this to our situation today because certainly we face problems. Uh, we need to know what we are supposed to be doing. Uh, we need to know 
how to meet the challenges that face us in the 21st century. And there's much to be thought about uh, what they did and learned from what they did. Well, first, let's look at the practice of the early church. What was important for them to be doing? Uh, we see it here uh, in the passage. What was important for them should be important for us. They set the precedent for us there in the first century in Jerusalem. But we find here that the early church valued and they were involved in three things. Three things are mentioned in this passage. First, prayer. First, prayer. They wanted to be involved in prayer. That was a priority. You notice that the, the disciples mentioned there that, that uh, we need to be uh, involved in prayer and the preaching of the word and someone else needs to be involved in uh, ministering to the widows. So prayer was one of the first things that they were involved in. Preaching the word obviously was uh, a very large priority for them. Proclaiming it, teaching and preaching Christ in their homes, in the, in the temple, wherever they went, they were talking about Christ. So that's a second priority. And the third one is this ministry, this mercy ministry, this deed ministry that they were involved in. Well, our attention is drawn, first of all, to this mercy ministry because the problems that we encounter in this text arise from this aspect of their ministry. Now, verse 1 speaks of the daily distribution, it says there. In the Greek, the verse literally says the daily diakonia. And that word diakonia means practical service. And it's the word from which we get our word deacon. And in fact, the seven who are chosen here to oversee this ministry are often referred to as the first deacons, though that title is not applied to them uh, here in the passage. We see then that the early church had a ministry uh, of waiting on tables. That's where the word deacon comes from. And they fed people, especially people who were in need, people who were hungry, particularly widows. Now you you would know, uh, or you may not know, that widows were some of the most vulnerable people in those days since there was no government assistance like we have today. Women needed to have a husband, frankly, in those times, and uh, a large number of sons so that someone would be able to provide for her and take care of her in her old age. And if a woman lost her husband or had no children, then she would have had a very difficult time to provide for herself. You see the example uh, from the book of Ruth, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. She's widowed and her sons died and it was just her and her two daughters-in-law and they really were at the mercy of the world. So widows were very... Uh, vulnerable at that time. And so the early church took it upon themselves to take care of those widows in their midst. They fed them. They made sure that daily they had the things that they needed. This mercy or deed ministry complemented the preaching of the word. They had the word ministry and the deed ministry work together. The power of the apostles' preaching was both backed by and enhanced by the practical sharing that went on in the Christian community. In other words, uh, the apostles talked about the power of the resurrection and this new life in Christ, while the community embodied and demonstrated the reality of Christ's resurrection and the newness of life. It was a new pattern, a new life, uh, a real concern for others. 
Again, we see the, the, the practical actions of Christians for people in need demonstrated the truth and the power of the gospel. They worked together. The more people believed it, it made more people more merciful. And that makes sense. The person who has experienced the mercy of God in Christ, who really understands the great sacrifice Christ made on their behalf to show them mercy in their time of need, lost in sin and brokenness. When you experience God's forgiveness, His grace, His mercy, then that should compel you to extend the same type of mercy and grace to others. And if we find ourselves hardened to brothers and sisters in need around us, then it may be that we need to rehearse to ourselves the mercy that we have received from God in Christ. I just finished reading a book by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield, and uh, she was uh, uh, lived a godless life uh, for much of her uh, adult life, even into her adult life. And then she was converted, and she ends up marrying a pastor named Kent. Uh, and Kent and Rosaria uh, were too old to have children by the time they got married, and so they began to adopt children through foster care. And they adopted uh, four children, and two of those children that uh, were, were infants when they were adopted. They were of a different race than they are. Well, Kent was, was filling a pulpit at a small church one time, and uh, her son was asleep on her shoulder, uh, Rosaria's shoulder, and her daughter was asleep in the car seat. And a man walked up to her, not knowing that she was the preacher's wife, and said, So, is it chic for white women to adopt black kids these days? And she took a deep breath and stood up and looked him in the eyes and she said, Are you a Christian? Did God save you because it was chic? And she writes this. She says, We locked eyes until he dropped his head. He stammered something unintelligible and backed away slowly, seeming to understand that even when the bear does not look like the cubs, the trauma of having one's head ripped off by a protective mama can be bloody business. See, she was pointing the guy to the same thing I'm pointing you to. Uh, he did not understand there the adoption that was going on and that she would have reached out to someone in need, which is the same pattern that Christ set for us. Christ reached down to us and he has adopted us into his family and shown us mercy when we were lost and hopeless. That's why she says, are you a Christian? If we have a hard time being merciful to those around us, especially within the church, then we need to check whether we really understand God's mercy to us. or Maybe we've forgotten and taken it for granted. Jesus told a parable about this, the parable of the unmerciful servant. You remember that uh, a servant had, uh, owed a large sum of money, one that he would never be able to repay, more than his yearly income, and his master forgives him. Well, just a few days later, this servant who has been forgiven the great debt encounters a man who owes him uh, $10. And he's, you know, choking the guy and threatening him and saying, pay back every penny or I'm going to have your family thrown into debtor's prison. And the master finds out about this and he rebukes the, the man, the servant, the wicked servant who was not merciful. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And that's the pattern that's set. You know, we have an obligation 
as those who have received mercy to show mercy to others. What good is it, James says, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith, also, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We show our faith by our works. So the, the faith that we have, this, this message that we preach, this gospel message, must go hand in hand with demonstrating that mercy, showing the love of Christ. And of course, the preaching of the word is another priority they had. They not only were involved in this deed ministry that's the focus of the passage, but it is also a priority of the disciples that, that the word be proclaimed. They didn't want uh, this distribution to the widows to take away from the preaching of the word. Both were important. Both needed to be done. But the preaching of the word had to be preserved. They were adamant about that. The preaching of the word should be accompanied by deeds of mercy. They go together. Otherwise, it's just hypocrisy. And let me also reiterate the third thing, that prayer is mentioned here. And it's mentioned before preaching of the word. The disciples say, look, we need to be involved in prayer and the preaching of the word. And we need someone else to handle this issue of the mercy ministry. Prayer is important. Do you believe in prayer? Everyone can pray. That's something that we all can do. All these different aspects of the ministry are something that we all can be involved in on some level. Uh, we can all show mercy to, to others. Now, it may not be that we're involved in a full-time mercy ministry, but we all can look around us at the needs that are there and do something about it if we're able. We can all pray. That's an easy one. And we can all, we are all called to be uh, those who witness to Christ. We share the good news of salvation. You may not be called to stand up like I'm doing and preach the word uh, as, a, as an ordained minister, but all of us in some aspects should be involved in, in all of these very important parts of what it means to be a church. But we all have different gifts, which we'll get to in a minute. Well, that's the, the practice of the church, and that's very informative of us. These three things should be a priority for us. Prayer, preaching the word, and mercy ministry. Now secondly, the problem. The second area from which we can learn from this passage is the problem that they faced. It tells us there in verse 1 that uh, the, the church was growing, and then there was a complaint by the Hellenists, arose, and it rose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, probably what this means uh, is that there were uh, Hebrew-speaking uh, uh, Hebrew Christians within the church, and then there were Greek-speaking people within the church. Uh, the Hebrew people probably were a bit more traditional, and uh, they, they had, had uh, maybe a greater tie and were less like the culture around them. But then other people had been converted who were coming who had, who had come from a background where they had bought into the Greek culture of the day, and they would be called Hellenists. But they were all Christians. They were all converted. But there was a bit of a divide there. And so uh, what seems to have happened was that the Hebrew widows were shown more attention than the Hellenist widows. And that, of course, caused some hard feelings. 
So there was a problem. Now, the first thing I want to say about that is that just because a church faces a problem or problems, it doesn't mean that the church is doing something wrong or is an illegitimate church or, or is somehow unfaithful. It can mean those things. But on the flip side, it may mean that the church is doing something right, that it is being faithful. And that makes better sense. And that's what's going on here. If you are being faithful as an individual or a church, then you can expect there to be problems because the enemy does not like it when we're faithful. And he wants to stop us from being faithful. We've already seen the problem of persecution from those outside the church and how the disciples dealt with that. You know, here uh, they've already been persecuted twice. This recorded for us in the book of Acts before we reach chapter 6, and we're going to see it again throughout the rest of chapter 6 with the stoning of Stephen, first martyr. We've also seen uh, the problem of hypocrisy inside the church. That was a real problem. Ananias and Sapphira were acting like they were doing a great deed, but they, were, they weren't what they seemed. And we see how the church dealt with that. Well, here we see the threat of disunity within the church. Again, the third strategy that Satan's using to try to disrupt God's kingdom, disrupt God's church. And it's uh, a typical wartime strategy. You try to divide your opponent. You divide your enemy. Get them separated and their strength, uh, they become vulnerable. Their strength is abated. Satan was here trying to drive a wedge within the church, divide the church between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And he was trying to, to get it there to weaken the church. And that's a great lesson to learn. Even a good thing like helping widows can become a, a cause for division and a, and a real battleground within a church. Well, we need to be aware that we have an active enemy and one of his primary strategies is to cause disunity within the church. He loves to get church members mad at one another for any reason whatsoever, uh, from how to carry out the mercy ministry, as we see here, to the color of the tile in the bathroom. I mean, I've seen people really get into some real arguments and knock down drag-out fights over, you know, how to decorate the church. It seems silly. But it means a lot to somebody. Well, there will certainly be disagreements within the church. We're human beings. We're sinners. But how we deal with those disagreements is of utmost importance. And to be surprised that there are problems would be to be like a, a soldier at wartime that's surprised that the enemy's shooting at him. You know, Satan is going to try to disrupt us. And I've seen it time and time again when a church really uh, maybe changes its... Uh, patterns and, and seeks to be faithful, a big controversy comes up. The last church we were in, Clarksdale, they revamped a ministry and started uh, a new uh, worship service that attracted lots of people in the community from, from different racial backgrounds and things are, were going really well. And as soon as that started going, boy, I, I mean, one thing after another came against the church. Controversy, problems with individuals and difficulties in the community. They've remained faithful in the midst of it, but uh, the pastor, Pastor Bill, said this is just the Satan trying to, to mess us up, trying to trip us up, trying to divide us, and trying to break up the good things that are going on in the church. When we seek to be faithful, we can expect 
that, the, that Satan is going to start shooting his arrows at us. And we can go to, to Ephesians and uh, learn how to deal with that. For, and we can deal with that another day. But that's the second thing that we can learn from how they dealt with their problems and the fact that they had problems. We can expect that there to be difficulties. Now, the solution that they proposed, the third thing, third area from which we can learn from our friends in the Jerusalem church. The early church dealt with this problem that they encountered by appointing a group uh, to run this ministry. They chose seven men to undertake the leadership of this work, and the church's response was gracious and fair. Uh, we see here that these seven, uh, some of them have Greek names, and some of them have Hebrew names. So by bringing in people from both groups to work, these men who were reputable, full of the Holy Spirit, and, and wise men, they uh, were able to graciously and fairly deal with the issue and make sure that all the widows were taken care of. Now, notice these qualities. They were of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, these original deacons, if you will. Uh, helps us think about this as we face the difficulties and disagreements that we will undoubtedly face in the church. You know, one of the things that we need to do is to stop when we are upset with someone. And as we consider how are we going to deal with this issue, or maybe we're upset with a, a situation, it may not be with any particular individual, how, how can we stop and deal with it in a manner like these men did, uh, how they used their giftedness to deal with their issues? First, you know, they were reputable. They, they had a good name in the church and in the community. And that would be uh, an insurance that they would deal with any issues in a way that would be reputable. They wouldn't have anything to be ashamed about in the way that they dealt with it. You know, too often when we're upset about things, we say things we don't mean or we do things that we shouldn't do. That's not being reputable, and we later are ashamed at the way that we've dealt with it. We will have problems, but we need to deal with them in a reputable manner, in a way that would not make us ashamed. Also, as we uh, face problems and disagreements within the church, do we... Do we uh, do we deal with those according to the Holy Spirit, to the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit? Is my behavior, my response to this, keeping me in step with the Spirit, to quote the Apostle Paul? Am I being filled and controlled by the Spirit as I deal with this situation? And am I using the wisdom of God's Word? Maybe we're not all that wise like these seven, but James tells us that if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask, and God has given us a book full of wisdom to guide and direct us on our path. So as we look at this solution that they made, it kind of helps us. It really does help us understand how we can face the problems and difficulties that we are certain to face. So that solution helps us in that respect. But the solution that they put into place also ensured that they avoided another potential problem. And that problem is the problem of burnout amongst the leaders. You know, there's a, a saying in the church, 20% uh, of the people do 80% of the work. It, and, and sometimes 
it's uh, less percent of the people doing the work, doing an even greater amount of the work. Well, of course, that's an unbiblical uh, pattern that happens often in churches. The apostle here, they knew their gifts and their callings. They knew what God had told them to do and, and what, they were, uh, what they were gifted at doing. God called them to preach and teach Christ. And so they knew it was important to care for the widows and to be engaged in that mercy ministry, that deed ministry. But they also knew that they did not have the time to devote to that, to give it the attention that it needed within the church. So they delegated that responsibility to other people in the church. And others took on those responsibilities. And you don't hear anymore in the book of Acts about the poor widows who were neglected in the distribution because it didn't happen again, apparently. Well, as we think about the church, uh, as we think about our church, do 20% of the people do 80% of the work? Or is it worse? Or is everyone using their gift, because the Bible tells us that if you're a believer, if you're a disciple of Christ, then you have a gift of the Holy Spirit. And you can read in Ephesians and Corinthians about those spiritual gifts and elsewhere as well. We all need to be a functioning part of the body of Christ. Uh, if you have a, a body with arms and legs and eyes and ears, as the Apostle says in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, you, you want that body to all function together. You know, if your leg doesn't work, the body is not as uh, effective. If, you, if your eyes don't work, you can't see where you're going and, and you can't be uh, as, uh, as effective as you need to be in the church if you have part of, of the body of Christ that's not doing anything, then that church just limps along or really can't see where it's going. You see the point that I'm making, that Paul makes in Corinthians. Everyone has a gift. And when 20% of the people do 80% of the work, someone's going to get burned out. It's too much. More people need to be involved. And, and you, each one of us here today, you must prayerfully determine your calling and concentrate on it. In a vital church, the whole body of Christ is involved in ministry, and whether it's preaching the Word, teaching the Word, reaching out to those in need, or even prayer, or any other host of things that the, the body needs to do its work, to be an effective church, an effective ministry. If you've experienced God's mercy, if you have uh, realized that He has given you not only the gift of salvation, but a spiritual gift as well, then that ought to motivate you to use that gift for His kingdom and His glory. Because as I prayed earlier, you know, we often spend our time, our energy, our resources in building our own little kingdoms, the kingdom of Tim or the kingdom of, of you, the kingdom of me. We want to have it the way we want to have it, and we work to get that. But those kingdoms are going to go away. You know, the kingdom of Tim is going to end. And you know, I do a lot of ancestry research in my family, and there are people that see their name on a page. I don't know anything about them, what they did. Their lives just disappeared. And that's going to be true of many of us. Not many of us are going to be in the history books, I doubt. But all that we do for God's kingdom... And as we are a part of God's kingdom, 
that will last forever. That's worth investing in. That's worth building on. So if we are part of that kingdom, how can we function and build it up and strengthen it is a question that we need to ask ourselves. I have a book on, on, uh, on my shelf in my office. I haven't read it, but, it, but I love the title. It says, Church is not a spectator sport. Church is not a spectator sport. Everybody ought to be uh, on the field, engaged in the game. Whether you're a, you know, to use football, whether you're a quarterback or a running back or a guard or a tackle or a defensive back, whatever your, your role might be, uh, all the parts are important. They have different functions. They work together as a team. You can't just sit on the sidelines, cheer everybody else on. You need to get in the game. Well, as we think about our church going into this new year, 2015, this passage is a great encouragement to us. First, we need to focus on what's really important, prayer, proclaiming Christ, preaching the word, teaching the word. Uh, we need to focus in on showing mercy to brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need to show the love of Christ, not just share the love of Christ. Uh, also, we must remember that the more we try to be faithful doing these things, the more opposition we're going to get. So don't be surprised by that, but deal with those uh, difficulties in a spirit-filled, godly manner, being gracious to one another. And as we enter into 2015 as a church, we need everyone to use their gifts. And, and we need uh, to use uh, the church. I mean, the church needs to be a place where people can develop their gifts, uh, examine what those gifts might be, and to find help to put those into practice. You know, one of the things that we need to have structurally is a way for people to say, you know, I feel like the Lord would have me do this ministry. And the leadership needs to say, well, how can we help you do that? What can we put in place to help you uh, fulfill your calling uh, in the church? So we want to be here to do, to do that. So please talk to us about it if you have a vision for something that needs to be done in the church. Now, as I said before, we may not be the biggest church. We may not be uh, you know, the popular church that everybody comes to. But there is no reason why we can't be a faithful church. Because God has given us everything we need to be a, a church that is faithful to him. Everything that we need is here in this room today to be a faithful church for God. May God help us, give us the grace to be that faithful church. Faithful in small things, when we're faithful in small things, Eventually, God will allow us to be faithful in, in bigger things. So may God help us to be faithful in the small things. Let's pray together.